Thank you so much for checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for this episode comes from the Ely Outfitting Company. Hi, I'm Jason with Ely Outfitting Company in Ely, Minnesota. The Boundary Waters is the world's greatest canoe country wilderness. And we're thankful to help groups of friends and families from all backgrounds and experience levels enjoy this magnificent place. At Ely Outfitting Company, we have everything you need for a successful Boundary Waters canoe trip. See us for expert trip planning assistance, ultralight Kevlar canoes, specialized camping equipment, and the best information to help you pull it all together. You can even show up with just the things you wear, and we'll take care of the rest. Or just rent a canoe and a few things. All the details and lots of good stuff are on our website at elyoutfittingcompany.com. We're proud to support WTIP's Boundary Waters podcast. Matthew and Joe keep telling the wonderful stories of our favorite place in the world, the Boundary Waters. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters, and it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern light. Welcome to episode 8 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Excited for today's episode, Joe. We have a special podcast takeover from a longtime contributor here at the station, Ada Igo. But she put together this special piece who's going to tell us about a massive undertaking that occurs every year, getting a bunch of young people into the Boundary Waters. Yeah, absolutely. Ada, as you mentioned, uh, been involved with WTIP for many years. Her parents are some of the founding members of, of uh, the station itself back in uh, the 90s. And Ada is now up at Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters, way up the Gunflint Trail. And she put together uh, a beautiful piece about a group that comes from Indiana. This group comes every year and it's not just like a little minivan that, you know, <laughs> put some packs in and drive up from Indiana. This is a, a school, of usually about 36 kids come, also about a dozen chaperones. So it's a, a so massive that, undertaking, like you say. Yeah, putting out six different groups, six different trips, all orchestrating it over a lengthy period of time. Yeah, they come, uh, as they come all this way, they stay usually for six nights, so pretty much a full week in the Boundary Waters, and with that number, you know, you can only have a maximum of nine people in a group, so they split up and go out for a week, and then they come back to Tuscarora and share their stories, and today Ada's going to bring us in on that, and we're going to hear some of their stories. And after that, we're going to hear about an often overlooked topic in canoeing. Canoe paddles. You're going to know more after today than you ever thought possible about paddles. Yeah, exactly. We've got a lot of people here in uh, Grand Marais, up the Gunflint, and along the North Shore that know about canoe paddles. And I talk with one expert right here in Grand Marais, uh, and we're going to hear that in part two. 
We're going to start out hearing from Ada at Tuscarora and hearing from uh, some more youth, actually, now here in, in Episode 8 again. Yeah, you know, it's been this amazing observation as this podcast has unfolded. In numerous episodes, we've heard from people that I think both fall into the millennial category and even younger. And I know that there are certain people who are really passionate about the boundary waters that are concerned. They think the population going out there is aging and that they're worried about who's going to continue to use this area and protect it. And over and over again, talking to these young people, that they're into it. But what they need most from the experienced generation is patient mentoring and helping them along to become confident and proficient to come up here and be the next generation. And we're seeing that happen, and that's so exciting. Yeah, and what we're going to hear in this episode today is uh, is a part of that. And uh, Ada Igo from up at Tuscarora, she brings us that in this story. The coach bus with 36 students from Northridge Middle School in Middlebury, Indiana, and their 12 adult chaperones has just rolled into Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters near the end of the Gunflint Trail for their 2018 Boundary Waters trip. It's just after 7 p.m. on June 13th, and the kids have been on the road since 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Tonight, they'll move into a bunkhouse, get oriented with their camping equipment and food, and then go over their routes before heading to bed. As the kids wait for their turn in the map room, I ask why they decided to go on the trip. I haven't gone, well, I've gone camping, but I really like it, so I wanted to come up here and, like, see the the new camping spots and stuff. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun to see some wildlife, see some moose. We recently took a trip to New Hampshire, and there's all these signs, look out for the moose. Never saw a moose. So it'd be cool to see a moose up here. And I know people who went on it before, and they said that it was really fun. And one thing I want to do is see a waterfall, because I always have liked those. I haven't been like fishing or canoeing in a while, so and I haven't done a lot of camping, so I thought it'd be a good idea to like try it out and have fun. The next morning, they're up early for a French toast breakfast in the Tuscarora Dining Hall, and by 9.30 a.m., they're all on the water to begin their five-night, six-day camping trips. The group is broken into six groups of eight that go on six different trips, utilizing a variety of boundary water entry points on the Upper Gunflint Trail. This is the 26th boundary water trip this middle school has organized, and since 2008, two Northridge teachers, Matt Hahn and Jameson Smith, have been coordinating the trip with Tuscarora. Matt and Jameson are the second generation of leaders for this trip. A few years back, they were named Elkhart County Conservation Teachers of the Year. They were nominated for the award by the parent of a student who went on the Boundary Waters trip. Over the years, both the camping gear and the forest itself has changed and evolved, but at its heart, the Northridge Boundary Waters trip remains a kid-driven trip focused on getting kids comfortable in the woods. Matt Hahn remembers some of the first trips he went on. 
we started off as just regular chaperones. They actually used to do two trips, and they would drive a school bus all the way up. And the chaperones, a couple of them that had their licenses, they would actually drive the bus up. So a 13-, 14-hour drive on a school bus was not not real pleasant. Uh, it was, you know, windows down and hot and loud and everything else. And the first couple trips that we did were the same way with the school bus. It started back in 1991. Uh, there were two teachers that wanted to do some sort of a trip like this, uh, an environmental trip. Um, and the school board wouldn't allow them to go all the way to Minnesota, so we actually started in just the UP of Michigan, which is still an eight- to nine-hour drive from here in Middlebury. And so they did the trip the first year, uh, four or five nights, I think, and everything went really well and, and got good reaction from parents and from the kids. And the next year then they did propose again to go to Minnesota, and that was okay. And so they... Uh, had their first trip, and we used a lot of the same things that he did, and then we updated some stuff, and that was one of, one of the big changes was we went with the Cardinal bus uh, to bring everybody up. We could bring more people and do just one trip because they used to do two trips. They would bring the school bus, and they would come up for an early June trip, then they'd be home for a little while or maybe a mid-June trip, and then they would do another trip over the 4th of July usually. Jameson Smith. We took all the things that, that Tim Magnuson and, and Dale Miller and some of the people before us, uh, things that they did, and then we just kind of made them more to what we like to do and uh, make it work for us. Uh, as far as how we split things up, really we kind of just work everything together. I mean, we have a couple of things that we, each of us do, like, hey, did you do this? Did you, like Matt calls uh, Cardinal Bus, and he takes care of that, and, and I uh, call and take care of the, we used to get fishing uh, licenses for all the kids, and, and we get T-shirts for the kids, and, and things like that. Like, but we all we do it all together. We just make sure we communicate really well. And we're, we actually talked about this, how we're very fortunate that we get along so well that uh, we can work together for this long and really with no complications. We never argue about anything or anything. We just we work it out and figure it out. And, hey, I can't do this. Can you take care of this for me today? <laughs> and, and we just do it. In the weeks while we wait for the coach bus to roll in, the outfitting building floors disappear under a sea of food and gear packs. When boundary water permits become reservable in late January, we work with Matt and Jamie to figure out which routes each of the six groups will go on this year. By that point in time, Matt and Jamie have already been working on planning the upcoming trip for four to five months. Before we start having kids apply is we have a parent informational meeting. You know, we tell the kids all about it, go through a PowerPoint, just tell them about the trip, and we give them applications and we give them an info sheet so they can take home and show their parents. But then after that, we have a parent informational night where we meet with them for about an hour, an hour and a half in the auditorium, and Matt and I just go through a PowerPoint, and we just basically the same when we show the kids, and we tell them, you know, this is what's going to happen, uh, how the trip works step by step, what we're going to see. We show them the benefits, you know, how exciting it is and all of the uh animals and the, you know, all the wilderness. But then also, you know, we talk about, you know, some of the severities, some of the things that are dangerous. There have been times where we've had a kid apply, get accepted. They come all the way through the whole application process. We go all the way through the end of the year. And at the parent meeting a month before we leave, we have a parent come up to us and go, I didn't know we weren't going to be able to talk to them on the phone. <laughs> I didn't know cell phones don't work. I didn't know I couldn't take a shower. I didn't know. I didn't know there were there weren't going to be bears up there. Oh my gosh, we had 
we had we had one year where we had so many parents that were so scared of bears and we have no idea why <laughs> it was crazy but uh yeah so then we started doing this informational meeting so they could come to that and we could get we could tell them listen this is the wilderness you are out there uh you will not be able to talk to anybody for a week other than those other seven people <laughs> so they don't run into that till they get to the end and be like oh i didn't know that you know when we're getting ready to leave once applications are in the logistics are just beginning for Matt and Jamie. So we get about 80 kids that apply, I and mean, we've had as many as since we've been in charge. We've had, I think, 104 was our most. And one of our low years when the economy kind of crashed, uh, we only had, like, I want to say, like, 52 or something apply, something like that. And the application process, I mean, we, we really want to make sure we have good kids, you know, high-character kids that go on this trip. We want to make sure that they are responsible. Uh, we don't care about grades. I mean, sure, it's nice to take the you know kids with good grades as a reward or whatever, but we focus mainly on their attitude and how they are in class and do they cause problems. Uh, and then the way the selection process works, because we don't, first of all, we don't know all the kids because as they come through, like in sixth grade, we both teach sixth grade, we only have two-thirds of the kids. So there's a third that we have no idea who the kids even are uh, at our school. And so the way we do the rating sheet is every teacher in the building gets a chance to rate the kids. They don't rate them on, again, grades. It's all based on attitude, responsibility, helpfulness, things like that. Uh, now, now, generally, you know, the kids who are responsible and the kids who, who do a nice job in class, generally they do have better grades. But we we don't focus on that. But anyway, every adult in the building gets to rate the kids. And then uh, Jameson and I, we get one vote just like every other teacher does. And we then just get an average. Um, They they get rated from excellent to poor. And we assign a a number with that. And then we just go straight off the list. And the top 36 kids get to go. We got to do a little bit of finagling at the bottom because we got to have the right numbers of male and female for for the groups and that sort of thing. And then we have an alternate group because you always tend to get somebody who drops out because of a baseball camp they have to go to or something. And hopefully that happens in January, February, not in May or early June before we come. It's this giant puzzle for us that takes hours to put everybody in the right groups to match everybody up. Um, and there's different things they can put on their, their paper. They can put the four people they'd like to have. They can put teachers down they'd like to have that are chaperoning. They can list, um, I even list like the, the top four or five reasons they want to go on the trip. Is it for the adventure? Is it for the fishing? Is it to, to get away from parents? Like that's one of the options. Is it to spend time with friends? Like, you know, or, or, or they can write in another other item or whatever. And then we try to, you know, put those kids together. Like the kids who want to fish, we try to put those kids with chaperones who are going to spend more time fishing, who have knowledge about fishing. Because we have some chaperones that don't even take fishing poles because it's not about the fishing for them. It's the adventure. It's the it's the learning experience of, of being in the wilderness away from technology. When we tell the kids who are going, uh, Matt and I can go, we have keys to get into the lockers. And so we'll go through all the lockers and all the kids that are going and we'll put uh, a congratulations. You have been selected to go on the trip or if they're an alternate that congratulations, you have made the alternate list and have the possibility of going. And we, we go into everybody's locker and we put a thing in, in their locker so that they know that uh, they have been selected to go on the trip. A lot of times, too, like 
those kids are, are look forward to that. Like they know the day it's supposed to happen. Cause we tell them on this date, this is when we're going to do it. And they wait all day, all day, all day, you know, they're on edge and then they open it up and they find out yeah, I get to go. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a neat thing. And a lot of times they'll come running into our rooms afterwards and be like, ah, I made it. I made it. You know, we have a summer school class with the kids. We do two half days of summer school. Uh, the first day is all rules, regulations, leave no trace. Uh, discussion. We watch the video. We discuss it. Um, we go over map reading and packing, and, and we got a really good packing list we put together. Um, and so we do that all the first half day. The second half day then is all we have stations outside. Um, we have a portaging station so they can at least get a feeling for what it's like to carry a canoe and carry heavy packs. We have a tent setup station. We have a fishing station working on putting your fishing pole together, putting the line on it, putting the lure on it you know, casting a little bit, then taking it apart, and then putting it back together. Because so many of these kids, I've had a lot of trips where when we get to our first campsite, everybody's like, let's go fishing, let's go fishing. How do I put my fishing pole together? Like, it's some of them still have the Walmart wrapping around them and stuff, like the plastic wrap. And so we, we've tried to kind of get, get away from that so that I don't spend my first two hours sitting there at the campsite trying to put everybody's fishing poles together and then fix problems when they are trying to fish. We do a cooking station where we get, you know, ramen noodles and we get stuff going on the stove and we we talk about how when we get there, you know, you all need to be there when we're cooking. We'll divide up. You know, the boys are doing the cooking, the girls are doing the dishes, and then we we take turns uh, with how that all goes together. And when you get out there, some of the kids, they kind of make wagers about different things. You know, well, we'll do the cooking tonight if you guys will carry the big packs on the portage, or we'll do, you know, they they kind of figure stuff like that out, which is kind of cool to listen to and as they try to problem-solve some of that. Although they arrive in mass at Tuscarora, once they're on the water, they're just a group of eight paddlers. Most groups never see each other, um, and then rarely do you see. I mean, you'll see other groups paddling by in the distance, but um, yeah, it might have a few conversations with people. But mostly, it's it's just you, a group of eight, you know, six kids and two two adults. Usually, you know, three boys, three girls, and then a male and female chaperone. Even with all the orientation back in Indiana, the first days in the Boundary Waters are an active learning experience for the students. Few, if any of the kids, have any substantial paddling experience. And for some of these middle schoolers, the 65-pound aluminum canoes they're portaging weigh at least two-thirds of what they themselves weigh. I mean, at the beginning of the trip, we do a lot of, I don't want to call it babysitting, but it's a lot of just the, the simple directions that the kids just, they just can't see it. I mean, they're 13, 14-year-old kids, they're 7th and 8th graders. They just can't see some of those things on their own. And so you have to do a lot of giving those directions. And I always tell people it's, it's really day three for me. I, day three is when everything kind of comes together. And finally, for me, I get to kind of step back and take a break and, and breathe a little bit uh, because that's when they, they get it. They, they've done enough of the setting up tents and tearing down tents and paddling and portaging and even just around camp and stuff. Like that, that's kind of the day where I can finally relax. So those first two days are very intense for the chaperones. Again, you've got six, 13, and 14-year-old kids who uh, you have to guide on, on basically everything. But by day three, I just kind of step back and breathe a little bit. Maybe I take a nap in the tent, and I know things are, things are going to be just fine or whatever. And Although the trip is technically a school trip, the chaperones work hard to make it not feel like summer school. You know, I always tell the kids, some of the, you know, we're talking about getting ready to go on the trip, and and I'm like, oh, you know, you're, you're probably all thinking, well, I don't want to go spend a week with my teacher. Like, they're boring, they're lame, whatever. You know, I don't want to do that. But I'm like, it's not at all like that. Like, it really is just 
we're just out there. We're going to enjoy the week. We're going to work together as a group. We're going to work as a team. You know, when we get out there, yeah, if the kids want to hike, if they want to, they want to fish, they want to swim, they really have that option. Again, we take good kids, so we're not worried about them, uh, especially after a couple of days in. Um, they, they know how to do it. They know how to handle. They always wear life jackets in the canoes. Um, so we're not that worried about them. And, and really, we just talk about it. We're, how far do you want to go today? The trip's kind of up in the air. I mean, we know we got to we get dropped off at this point. We know we're going to get picked up at this point. In between there, whatever you guys want to do. You want to push hard today and have a layover day? Do you want to take it easy? You know, there's a fishing spot. I'm like, oh, you guys want to fish? we got to make sure we hit this spot, you know, whatever. And so we uh, we really just, you know, you know, again, I, some of the kids are like, well, you know, I don't want to be with a teacher. You know, we're just going to get homework. We're going to have them like, no, like that's, there's none of that. We're not going to tell you, don't take notes. You don't have to do a journal. Like, there's none of that. It's it's all, you know, your your work is paddling across the lakes and portage and all our heavy gear. Uh, because, I mean, a lot of these kids only weigh 70, 80, 80 pounds. I mean, you get a few in the way, 120, 130. But, uh, I mean, so to carry the gear is a, is a big accomplishment. So that's, that's what I tell them. You get us to the campsite, we'll get all set up and everything, and I really don't care what you do. If you want to fish, great. You want to swim, great. You want to lay on the rock, take a nap. We've had kids take naps on hard rocks before because you're so tired. Um, it's kind of funny because a lot of times we're sitting around and, you know, you think taking seventh and eighth graders, they've got all this energy, they're raring to go. You're sitting at the campfire at night. I've had many, many times, like the sun's not even down yet. And you're all kind of sitting there talking and you'll get a kid who'll look at you. They're like, Mr. Hahn, I'm really tired. Can I go to bed? And it's like, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's no problem. And then they're out like a light. I mean, they're gone. Um, because it's it's a very physical trip. For most of these kids, it's by far the most physical trip they've ever done. But a lot of the parents tell us that. Like when they, when we see them later on or whatever, a year or so later, they'll be like, you know, that was the best trip. And, you know, not everybody's going to love it. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. But we hear from a lot of parents, like, they were just so different. They they were more responsible. They We don't have to tell them five times to do something. I mean, a lot of with 4-H and a lot of them are like, yeah, like, they take care of their animals. We don't ever tell them, have to tell them anymore. I'm like, well, it wasn't a magical trip. Like we didn't magically fix something, but maybe it's just the, it's 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 the whole experience. It's it's understanding that you do you can do more than you think you can do. You know, have the confidence. A uh, little bit of pain's okay. Uh, you know, carrying that canoe or that big heavy food pack. Yeah, your shoulders hurt, but you'll you'll be fine. You'll you'll make it to the end of the portage. You'll you can you know, clean out that hog pen or whatever now, like you can, you can do those sort of things. It's, it's building the confidence and, and all of that. And I, we've had a lot of parents that, that tell us that it's amazing. I don't know what you did, but they're, they're so different now. And like, well, we just camped in the wilderness for a week and like, it's, it's the confidence. It's, it's the work ethic. If it's, it's that sort of thing. Throughout the years, the Northridge groups have had some scary experiences. They've been in bad storms, including the 1999 blowdown storm. Although they bring detailed records about each student's medical history with them, they've never had to use local search and rescue resources. Uh, we've really only ever had two major injuries. Um, one was a kid who would not stop climbing on things. He eventually uh, fell off a pretty good little ledge and landed right in the edge of the water on some rocks and, and broke his arm. And so he had to have a broken arm with just basically Tylenol for a couple of days till they got him out. Um, and then a girl slipped off the portage and kind of sliced her knee open on a, just a sharp pine tree or something that was sticking out, you know, a dead pine tree or something. And those are really the only two major injuries that we've had over the years. 
So what keeps them coming back year after year? I could tell stories and stories and stories about, you know, things that, that have happened to us. Uh, I mean, we had a dead moose a couple of years ago uh, floating in the water that I said, ah, that looks weird. Is that a big rock over there? What is that? One of the kids was like, yeah, that's a big rock. And then a couple of girls in the canoe just were paddling kind of near it, and they started freaking out about it. Oh, there's a dead moose over here. Oh, it's so gross. And and I go back, and I'm like, really? Is that a moose? And one of the kids starts banging on the dead moose floating in the water with his paddle. Yep, it's a moose. Yep, I see it. So we've had some funny things like that over the years. And no matter how many times you go on a Boundary Waters trip, you never really know what each trip will hold. Jameson Smith. Uh, one time, it was, I don't remember what year it was, but another shepherd and I were, were heading out, and it was really windy one year. And we were heading out on Seagull. And we, it took us everything we could to get across the lake. And the kids, would, it seemed like they would paddle three strokes forward and just be going backwards. And um, so we get up, and it started to get cold. and It's getting windy and rainy. We were just going, we were not going anywhere. So we decided uh, we're going to pull over and uh, just stay at this site that basically it had burned down not too long before and hadn't really grown up. So we're just going to go. We're going to lay out our sleeping bags and not sleep under a tent. And it looked like a clear night. So we, we lay down, we start to do that, and as soon as we all lay down, here comes the storm. So we had to put up tents real quick and get in them and go to sleep. And uh, I said, all right, listen, we'll get up super early in the morning. It should be calm. And we woke up, I think I woke up about 4 o'clock, and it was so windy. And so we got everybody up, and we're like, listen, we can keep, keep trying to go down Seagull, or we can turn and try to go down this porridge that's just behind us a little ways. And like, let's just try it. Let's try it. I'm like, I've never been on it. I don't know what it's like. Well, that porridge was the Jap porridge, which is over 515 rods. And these kids, we're talking seventh graders at the time. So they're 12 and 13 years old. And we end up doing the Jap porridge was 515. We did a bunch of little ones after that. We ended up coming all the way around and into round off of Tuscarora. So we did the Tusk portage which is 420 rods or 480 or whatever it is. So we did two of the biggest uh, portages in the entire that side of the Boundary Waters with those kids. We get back to Tuscarora, and we're, we canoed up to the landing there, and we were the last group in. And some kids from other groups are coming up to us like, hey, 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 you know what? We we did it. How was your trip? How was your trip? We were there from one of our other chaperones like, our group, we just we did more portaging than anybody else. We did an eighty rod portage. It was so hard, but man, that was awesome. And our kids just looked at each other and smiled, and like, yeah, that's awesome. We did five fifty, five fifteen, and four eighty, and they were just banners. I was like, see, you guys can say that you accomplished that. And that's one of the things too is like, it's some of the kids don't realize what they can do until they get out there and they actually put themselves through it, and then. It may be tough. It may be really tough as you're going through, but when you get done, you can turn around and look back and say, you know what, I did that. And it's a sense of accomplishment. And that's, that's one of the big things about, you know, rewarding parts about the trip, too. This year, when the kids come back from five nights in the Boundary Waters, they're a little surprised by their experience. Uh, it was a little rougher than I thought it was going to be, but it was still a lot of fun. For the students I talked with, portaging was by far the most challenging part. You're really hot, and you have a really heavy pack on your back, or you're carrying a canoe, and um, like mosquitoes are biting your face, but you keep on going, and like your motivation is to like get to your camp and like relax and stuff. 
but would they go on another Boundary Waters trip? Oh yeah. <laughs> and historically they will. Each summer, Tuscarora sends out at least half a dozen groups with connections to the Northridge Middle School trip. There's just something about this trip that participants carry with them for the rest of their lives. Jameson Smith. You know, a lot of it has to do with what came before us. I mean, it kind of goes back to that. Uh, a lot of the parents um, went on the trip when they were kids, and maybe now they're having kids and they're encouraging them. Uh, they hear about word of mouth is has been huge. Like people hear about it, um, and they encourage their kids to go. I mean, that that really has been the reputation really that that has built uh, over since like it started in 1991. The reputation that it, that the whole program together before us and with us that it's built has really helped get it out there so that you know people start looking for it as they get you know as they're coming up through school i have kids talking to me about it that are in fourth and fifth grade like their parents will mention it to me hey you know my son's looking forward they want they want to try and go on the boundary waters trip when they're in seventh and eighth grade and they'll this will be fourth fifth and sixth graders um we've had we've had a lot of people who will go on this trip and then they'll as a senior uh trip they'll do it again uh it's just it's kind of kind of neat they'll come back to us and ask us we've had parents who their kid went on the trip with us and then a few years later, they'll come back to us and say, hey, we're looking at going and taking our boys. Can you, can you help us out and point us in the right direction? And, and that's what we do. And we're always willing to help and get more people going. And uh, we have other schools. Uh, this year, I have a, uh, there's a student going on a trip whose dad works at a local school here. And uh, he contacted, contacted us. And uh, he was asking, you know, what are some things he needs to know and some things that he might have to look for in order to get a trip going like this at his school. Although they don't realize it, the 2018 Northridge Middle School Boundary Water Trip students are just the latest set of Boundary Waters advocates in Middlebury, Indiana. The stories they go home with will inspire others to learn about and experience this wilderness area. I kind of really like the isolation from like civilization and stuff. Um, also because it's beautiful out there and I love that the water is so pure and you like you can drink it straight from the lake. One thing I really liked about the trip was although we didn't catch many it was just fishing out there and hanging out with friends. Anybody wanting to go should go. For the Boundary Waters podcast this is Ada Igo reporting from Tuscarora Lodge and Canoe Outfitters on the Gunflint Trail. What a fantastic feature from Ada. I'm just so thrilled to hear that these kids are coming back year after year. It gives me so much hope for the wilderness and for the place that we love. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, huge thanks to Ada for really uh, putting together such a marvelous piece there about uh, just the boundary waters and the experience that these groups have had over the years and years that they've been coming from Indiana to Tuscarora. And uh, just really appreciate that uh, piece because on so many levels, it, it's, of course, the, the quality of what Ada put together, but also the story of young people. Matthew, I mean, that's really becoming something. Uh, we alluded to it at the top, but uh, in Episode 7, we heard from Julia Ruel and her friends that did a trip, and they were all teenagers from the Twin Cities, and what a blast they had. They put together video. You know, people are really incorporating it now into the 21st century, young, teenage. Uh, it's just... 
it's, people having fun and doing the same things that the their parents did and grandparents and so forth. So and it, and it's really evolving. So you know maybe thirty years ago you didn't have cameras in the boundary waters. And maybe it can seem threatening to have iPhones out there, cameras, or digital technology. But these kids know how to use that, and they know how to use that to reach out and and show an appealing vision of this place to their peers. And that's cool. That's so powerful. So possibly that's something that we can all learn from the younger generation. Speaking of learning, Joe, we have a lot to learn about paddles. It's one thing, as we said at the top, Matthew, it can get overlooked. Um, just you get so caught up in so many different elements of the trip, all these concepts that go into planning a trip. I don't think I really have ever spent too much time thinking about a paddle. I've just got a, a straight shaft wood paddle that I've had for years that gets me around. Uh, but I know there's a lot more to it. And I went to downtown Grand Marais. And I wanted to learn more, and I talked with Natalie Kundal. She uh, works at Stone Harbor Wilderness Supply in downtown Grand Marais. She's got the answers. Let's hear it. So we're here at Stone Harbor Wilderness Supply in Grand Marais, and I'm speaking with Natalie Kundal. She is the Tours and Rental Coordinator here at Stone Harbor. Natalie, we're going to talk about canoe paddles. Um, Before, you know, any trip starts, you need to, of course, you know, get your canoe. But in order to move that canoe into the boundary waters, you've got to have something to propel you forward. And we're going to talk about a whole spectrum of canoe paddles, uh, top of the line, just down to the basic, uh, you know, you rent an aluminum canoe, here's what they're going to hand you kind of paddle. And uh, let's start uh, Let's start at the bottom. Let's, let's okay. kick it old school to start out. Um, what's like the most basic canoe paddle that you would get even just like at a state park or something? Or, you know, if you're, uh, like I said, renting an, a very basic canoe, aluminum canoe even at a, an outfitter, what, are, what might they hand you? So if you're renting an aluminum or a Royal X canoe, you're a beginner, uh, probably going to put a lot of wear and tear on that boat. So you have what I consider your rite of passage paddle, your aluminum and plastic canoe paddle, or you just have your straight up heavy plastic canoe paddle. Okay. And, and what, and this is just going to be like a straight shaft. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, this is, there's nothing fancy about it. And, um, what's like a, a length, does it matter, um, based on, on just your own you know dimensions your own height and so forth uh or what all would factor into that basic model or does it even does even matter with something like that it still matters you still want to have a properly fitting paddle typically the sizes are going to range from 52 to 56 inches Um, they even make little children's size paddles as well in that material Um, not too fancy again really heavy but you still want it to fit right because you still, like you said, you need to get from point A to point B. Yeah. So. Okay, cool. So um, now that's, you know, evolved from that a little bit or, or move into the next, you know, more uh, still kind of a basic model, but uh, like more of the design of wood. I mean, we're, we're now we're away from, um, you know, manufactured materials and we're now we're using a, a wood canoe paddle, uh, but still want to start with a basic thing that, uh, you know, even an outfitter might hand you if you just seem like a knowledgeable or, you know, you, you sort of have an idea of what's going to happen in the boundary waters. What's a basic um, wooden canoe paddle? So you have your straight shaft wooden canoe paddle. Um, that's a lot lighter weight than your plastic or aluminum. It's going to be a lot less strain on your arms as you're paddling. Uh, 
but again, nothing fancy because you can get very fancy with canoe paddles, but that's also one where you're going to be sized correctly for it. You're not going to have the ergonomic handle grip, not the bend to get to extend your reach really. But okay. Just a straight wooden shaft. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so we've got uh, four canoe paddles laid out in front of us here. Uh, they're from Bending Branches. Uh, it's a company that make canoe paddles in Osceola, Wisconsin. Uh, pretty common around the Boundary Waters area. And what's going to be a weight that's, you know, we're still, let's uh, think of this basic wooden canoe paddle. What's going to be something that a, a either an outfitter or just whoever it would be if you came into Stone Harbor, since, you know, here we are in Stone Harbor and you have these for sale. Uh, what's going to be a, a weight of a kind of beginner wooden paddle? So this one is the BB Special by Bending Branches. It's 22 ounces. They also have their Expedition, um, where it has more of the rock guard tip, this plasticky, uh, heavier material on the end so you can push off rocks without worrying, ruining your paddle. That's going to add a few more ounces onto it because that follows the whole border of the blade. Mm -hmm. um, BB Special is a little more advanced because you don't have that rock guard tip all the way around the blade. You know more of what you're doing. You have the bend in the blade as well to extend your reach. And this would be uh, considered still like a kind of a beginner's or, you know, that if this was like, mm -hmm. if, if you were purchasing your first paddle, this would be yeah. a place to start maybe? Yeah, this is my number one recommendation. If you are purchasing your own paddle, you want something a little more fancy, uh, bending branches. Yeah, you want that bend because it's going to extend your reach, whereas a straight shaft is pretty standard so if you have your own canoe or you're looking to have your own special paddle a lot of people like to um, have the pride of saying this is my canoe paddle and you see the wear and tear on the wood and it just shows how many boundary waters trips you've been on yeah cool so uh this one that we're talking about is called the bb special mm -hmm. i imagine that's the acronym for bending branches yeah. it's kind of their bait you know their basic uh here's what you get it's quality product mm -hmm. and and then you uh go up from there so let's go up uh what's what's another option and what's different about this compared to kind of that base bb special so this next paddle is the java paddle really beautiful you have the more sunburst starburst design on it the rock guard tip going all around the blade again. Well, with the last one, both of these, you now have your ergonomic um, handle. And then you also can, with once you get to this level, you have different degrees of the bend. So you can get a bend anywhere from 12 to 16 degrees in this paddle. And uh, the difference is dramatic in price, or what's the, where do we go from, you know, the BB special to a Java? Like, what's the, the leap there? So you have about a $50 leap. So bending, the Bending Branches BB Special is about 100 This is about 150 Okay, so, you know, it's a little flashier, got a little more specs to it, but yeah. uh, still kind of, you know, in that intermediate level, you could walk in and, yeah. and pick this up. Okay, uh, well, where do we go from there? This, uh, this next one's intriguing to me. It's called the Sunburst, is that right? Okay, what's going on with this one here? This one has a carbon fiber shaft to it, ultra lightweight. Now we're, you're losing weight on the paddle. This is 15 ounces rather than your 22. There are canoe paddles that are made completely carbon fiber, ultra lightweight. I think they get as little as nine ounces. Mm -hmm. um, this one still has the wooden blade with the rock guard tip going all the way around. You have your sunburst design, so 
imagine like a sunset in the sky is what you're seeing yeah um and different colors of wood very beautiful very lightweight um, this one you also can buy paddles in varying degrees of the bend Okay. Yeah, very beautiful. Yeah, it is for sure. And so now we're getting into, uh, you know, as far as, the, you know, price even, this is getting into, you're, you're making an investment here? Yeah, you are making an investment with this paddle. It's about $230. I mean, it's made to withstand the length of your paddling career. Yeah. Okay, cool. So if you, you know, were to walk up to a canoe outfitter up the Gunflint Trail or based out of Ely or something, it, they're not likely to just sort of hand you this type of paddle? No, I'd be very surprised if you were handed this paddle. I'd be surprised to see an outfitter have this paddle in their business. Mm-hmm. I would see. I would understand if it was the outfitter's personal paddle, the worker's personal paddle. But if you were handed this paddle in the boundary of waters, I mean, they're instilling a lot of trust in you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So um, now we're getting in that uh, top tier of, of canoe paddles and and that's maybe take that next step uh this one down on the end here it has its own uh case cover on the blade and it's uh got uh, looks like a couple bends in the shaft so what uh what's going on with this paddle here so here you have the suede protectant case for the blade of your canoe paddle so if you're storing it on the blade in your garage or closet Hopefully, if you can invest this money, I mean, you have a special wall hanging for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have the double bend here. This is, as I was describing earlier, what I would give a a veteran canoe paddler um, where they're starting to feel the strain on their wrists and elbows. The design is to take that strain off of your wrists and elbows, um, and then you the sizing is way different so on this one you're typically going about four inches shorter than your favorite length in canoe paddles because of that double bend okay uh so let's talk a little bit about uh the bend in paddles like uh you know with the original model the base plastic aluminum this this sort of elementary level canoe paddle it's just a straight pole basically with a blade on the end of it what's the idea behind the bent shaft for people who just are getting into canoeing and, and you know somebody hands them one in the in the uh, boundary waters and they maybe don't even know what way to hold it and so forth uh what's the idea what's the purpose of that bent shaft the bent shaft is made to extend your reach and paddling so when you paddle you're starting well if you're sitting straight legged on the floor ideally you're going from your toes and you're paddling all the way to the seat of your canoe mm-hmm. <laughs> um and it's just meant to extend your reach get you those few extra inches you're going to be moving faster with a bench shaft for sure okay so it's a it's a speed concept that's that's the idea behind a bench shaft paddle okay and when did that uh, come around i mean like for uh the was this like a fur trade the voyageurs were you know implementing different strategies or when did the bench shaft sort of hit the market I'm not sure the exact year the bent shaft hit the market. I know the Voyagers were not using mm-hmm. bent shaft. I think theirs were more of what beaver tail paddles look like. I mean, I've been paddling in the Boundary Water since I was 10. I know mm-hmm. they've been around for at least 15 years, yeah. probably way before that. Yeah, so it's a concept that's been around for yeah. a while and it's maybe yeah. just been modified and more, you know, oh, with the yeah. double bend and so forth. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Well, so let's um, get into a hypothetical now, yeah. uh, just so people are, you know, have something tangible to work 
around. Uh, let's say there's a couple. They're they're up from you know somewhere outside of Minnesota. Maybe they, let's just choose uh, Des Moines. They came up from Iowa. Mm-hmm. They just bought a Kevlar canoe. They're really excited, mm-hmm. and it's their first canoe. And now they're they're coming up for their first trip. They're swinging into Stone Harbor here, mm-hmm. and they're saying, well, you know, we just had these uh, clunky old paddles that mom and dad gave us, uh, but uh, we're looking to take it up a notch. We got this new kevlar we want to go all the way with this so if the the guy is you know maybe six foot and his uh, wife or partner are uh, five seven so they come in and they say we need two paddles what are you going to do what all are you going to factor in on that there's a lot i factor in sizing people with canoe paddles first i ask them do they steer or are they in the front setting the pace because typically what i have found in sizing people with canoe paddles if you're steering you want a shorter paddle because as you're reaching forward you have the the canoe widening out to accommodate for. So if you have a long paddle, you're going to be hitting the shape of the canoe at the widest part. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people steering prefer a much shorter paddle. Typically around 54 inches is what I would size someone steering, 54 to 56, depending if they're old school and they like that longer paddle, 56. I find most people um, between 5'7 and 6 feet prefer a 54 inch paddle. I myself am only 5'4". I like a 54 when I'm sitting up front. I like my paddle a little long. Um, But if she was 5'7", I would give her a 54 as well since she's sitting up front and she has more, I guess, water and not less worry about hitting the boat up front. Okay, and uh, let's say if they didn't have, you know, your expertise to sort of guide them through the process, uh, is there like a a body part that they would want to use for measurement to like just for lining it up yeah so if they're going for a straight shaft typically you go from the floor to your armpit or the top of your shoulder whatever you find most comfortable in there because that's about a three inch difference if it's a bench shaft you're going to sit the handle is going to be on your seat and ideally you want the bend to be anywhere from your nose or in your chin so the bend's going to be somewhere in there some people say the middle of your eyeballs i've always found that to be too long for a bent shaft um, but yeah so that's how i size people for a bent and then i also make them sit on the stool and pretend to paddle and see if they find that to be comfortable okay yeah cool right on and uh so you know we've talked about uh, the evolution of paddles and and where we're double bent shafts and so forth but uh what about some of the other things you hear like about um banjo paddles and this uh coming in for more flat water paddling there's a, a company in wisconsin that uh makes those but uh what else do you hear as far as you know trends or what people are looking for here in 2018 with canoe paddles definitely lightweight people are wanting the increase in technology as far as paddles like i said there's a company zavril who makes completely carbon fiber paddles ultra lightweight it's a little more hard to use those in strong winds because it feels like it's blowing you back a little bit but i mean you're still getting the same power as you are with a wooden paddle you also have your beaver tail paddles for things like canoe dancing that's something that's new to me that i just learned about a few years ago and that's really gonna um, get you more deeper down into the water and catching any currents you can to really spin your canoe wow okay yeah sweet cool so um what about something maybe for people traveling through the boundary waters um and they're covering a big lake you know they're they're taking an east west route down windchill or they're on basswood they're on you know some bigger water or sag or something like this um and they're on a solo trip 
Anybody ever asked for a kayak paddle to go along with a solo Kevlar trip? Oh yeah, lots of people ask for kayak paddles on solos and it it's almost a little easier in my opinion to use a kayak paddle in a solo because you're sitting at the widest part of the canoe. Um, so in kayak paddles are 220, 240 centimeters long so you can really like not have to worry about leaning to one side of your canoe using a kayak paddle okay yeah cool well so you mentioned that you've done a number of boundary water trips and very knowledgeable about canoe paddles obviously so what do you uh what do you carry what's in your arsenal for paddles i have a bending branches expedition 54 inch bent shaft canoe paddle yeah right on. <laughs> yeah cool so uh while we're you know on the podcast here and we're, we like to hear uh people's stories you got any um you know favorite trips or or just places that you really like to go either up the gunflint or or anywhere in the boundary waters i think my favorite route i have ever done it was my my first full summer working up here me and some staff i see you're wearing clearwater lodge shirt that's mm-hmm. where i first worked up here we were paddling in Saginaw Lake, and this is gonna sound really bad, but we actually ran over a loon in our canoe, oh. and it almost tipped us over, and that was pretty scary. We thought it dove down, and we thought it was gonna swim away from us, but it just drove straight down and straight back up and hit our canoe. Wow. So that's always a fun story to tell. We were yeah. directly across from Canadian Customs. Uh-huh. and. So did like Janice Manichuk come paddling out and yell at you to leave the loons alone, or 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 what happened to the loon? Like, was it okay? Oh yeah, the loon is fine. I think a lot of people don't realize how big they are. They can get up to three feet long. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's like a fourth of a canoe. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. the loon was fine. It yeah. just flew off. Yeah. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So um, you like the end of the trail? Any uh, of the smaller lakes? You know where you're really having to kind of do a lot of portaging or that type of travel where, where else do you like to go Ooh, that's a good question i really like the portage from poplar to liz lake uh it's pretty easy it's flat there's that new boardwalk there mm-hmm. that's a i like easy portages i'm a so a lot of people ask like do you like to paddle or do you like to portage i'm for sure a paddling person <laughs> um, yeah. the clear water loop is very nice um i just did the frost river this past spring mm-hmm. that's a lot of short portages so that was nice but you're dragging over a lot of beaver dams um, in terms of difficulty i would say it's you want to be an intermediate to expert paddler for that mm. um, and i was really glad i actually didn't have a beaver tail paddle because those are pretty poor to use in shallow water um, you really want your standard canoe paddle in fact looking at the banjo paddle that might have been really nice calm still mm-hmm. um, river type water pretty flat and short that's where i could see a banjo paddle yeah. come in yeah. yeah cool well great well it sounds like uh you know there's a lot of of options and, and things to think about uh it at the end of the day, the idea is just to get from A to B uh, by any means necessary uh, using your canoe paddle, but there are different models, as, as we've just heard about, different styles, and a lot of information, but uh, you really summed it up, so we appreciate this. Uh, we're talking with Natalie Kundal. She's the Tours and Rental Coordinator here at Stone Harbor Wilderness Supply in Grand Marais. Natalie, thank you so much. A uh, pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Thank you, Natalie, for sharing all that awesome information. I feel like walking away from that a little bit more knowledgeable about maybe even some changes I would make to my paddle selection. Although I am fairly committed to my banjo paddle, straight shaft, I'm thinking I got a few other things I need to try before it's the end word on the topic. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where uh, it's different for different people. As Natalie told us, you know, depends how tall you are, what type of, you know, water you're going to most likely be on, either on your boundary water strip or, you know, if you're going to invest in a paddle that's a few hundred dollars, where are you going to use it the most? How's it going to help you the most? So a lot to think about. But uh, at the end of the day, whatever gets you across the water and mm. onto the next portage and into your campsite for the night, that's uh, that's the key that's thing. That's what it's all about. And that's what this podcast is all about, taking you into the Boundary Waters with us. I know that uh, the stories today, you know, at the top of the show, Ada's journey with the, with the group from Indiana going in, uh, that made me want to get out and, and set up a campsite and, and just uh, really embrace what the Boundary Waters is all about. We really hope that you, our listeners, are finding your ways to get into the wilderness this summer. And if you aren't there, we hope that the podcast is getting you a little closer to where you'd rather be. And that's why we thank you all so much for listening, for sending in your feedback, your emails, your responses on social media. All of that really keeps us going and inspires us for the next episodes. Uh, We really love hearing from all of you. Yeah, so if you have a story you'd like to share or anything that you think might be interesting for us here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast, send us an email podcast at gmail.com or find us on social media or wherever you get your podcast and we'd really like to also say a big thanks to our sponsors who are keeping this podcast going as well yeah absolutely here on episode eight huge shout out to jason and the ely outfitting company of course matthew over in ely minnesota uh they've been big supporters of the podcast and i know jason says he's been tuning in so uh thanks to everybody over at the ely outfitting company and joe thank you you put a lot of work into this thing and i know you're passionate about it and i hope everybody else is grateful for that too hey well right back at you matthew baxley uh been a pleasure episode eight here you know we kind of uh just got to kick back and enjoy this episode along with everybody else today so huge shout out to eight i go yeah thank you so much and uh thanks to natalie down at stone harbor that's it, Matthew Baxley. Episode 8 is complete. I just sing when I paddle canoe. Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar. Ooh, 